If you've got a Bible, 2 Corinthians chapter 2, or not 2 Corinthians, I made that up. 2 Timothy chapter 1 is where we're going to be today. And we're starting a new series together called Outlasters. And if you see the, the theme of the thought outlasters, it gives this implication for us as people. There is something to outlast. And sometimes when you look at adversity, I think as people, we, we began that journey by, by asking ourselves, uh, do we have what it takes? Can I do this? How do I know if I can even outlast? And when we talk about outlasting as a body of believers, knowing that God has called us to be uh, outlasters, what we look to outlast is the influence of this world and our lives and standing. What we want to do is stand for Christ. When we as believers are called to take a stand for Jesus, the truth is it, it's not always perfect. And in fact, um, many a times it's messy. If not all the time. And uh, Jesus even said to us as believers, he said he comes to put uh, father against son, daughter against mother. There, there's going to be tension by your stand for Christ, but God has called us to be outlasters. When I consider this thought of, of outlasting, my heart immediately goes to the book of Second Timothy. Second Timothy is written as a portion of, of biblical scripture that's referred to as the pastoral epistles. First and second Timothy, the book of Titus, and sometimes Philemon is thrown in there. All four of these letters were written by the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul especially writes Second Timothy a, a significant point in the ministry in which he conducts in this world. If you read Acts chapter 27, Acts chapter 28, you'll see at the conclusion of Paul's missionary journey, he, he's taken into jail. He's, he's on a boat on his way to Rome. He, he goes through a shipwreck on the island of Malta. Eventually he reaches Rome and the book of Acts kind of leaves it at that conclusion with Paul in prison or in jail. What the Bible doesn't record for us in the book of Acts as it abruptly ends there is that Paul eventually is released from jail. He goes on further missionary journeys, the fourth missionary journey, which we don't have recorded in the book of Acts. Eventually, Paul is arrested again under the leadership of Nero. And this arrest, he's thrown into the Roman prisons, once again into a dungeon. And this arrest will ultimately lead to the end of his life. And it's from this dungeon Paul writes the book of 2 Timothy. And he ends this letter with this thought, for I am already being poured out like a drink offering and the time of my departure is near. Paul knew under the persecution of Nero that he was about to lose his life. Not only did the apostle Paul lose his life during this time, so did Peter. Within months of one another, Paul is, has... Um, uh, decapitation because of his faith in Christ. But before that takes place, he writes the book of Second Timothy to specifically encourage Timothy and what God has called him to in this world, knowing as believers, we may face hardship, but God has called us to live victoriously, to be outlasters. Knowing that this world will fight to make its mark on you, that you as a follower in Jesus can stand victoriously making your mark on this world. And Paul's letter to Timothy is all about a letter that's making your mark. Being an outlaster as God has called us. 
And looking at the apostle Paul, we see that he fought adversity. And in the adversity he fought, he then encourages through Timothy, he encourages us that we too can fight adversity in standing for Christ. And the question I just want to start with this morning as we engage this book is, how did Paul have such an effect on this world? How did he live as an outlaster? Maybe we could even summarize the life of the Apostle Paul and say there is no one more uh, who, who has done more in shaping biblical Christianity and pronouncing what Christ has done in the world than the Apostle Paul. How did the Apostle Paul have such an effect in the world and how, how might that as people encourage us and the effect that God has called us to have in this world by being outlasters for him? And so Paul starts his book or his letter. In 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 1, he says this, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, according to the promise of life in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, my beloved son, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. Paul begins the idea with a thought. This word isn't expressed, but the theme of this thought begins and ends throughout this book, and that is one of faithfulness. The reason that Paul was an outlaster in this world is that Paul was faithful. When we talk about the word faithfulness, sometimes we, we look at faithfulness and we see that God can use us to make an impact at, at one specific moment in time. But in addition to that, through the life of the Apostle Paul being poured out at the end, it, it, it encourages us this way that we can also be faithful over a duration. God also uses us over time make an impact for him. And the Apostle Paul is faithful and throughout the pastoral books that's written, First and Second Timothy, Titus, Philemon, this, faith, this word of faithfulness is, is used, expressed some 17 times within these books. Paul was faithful. And what was he faithful to? Well, he tells us in these first verses, he's, he's faithful to the giftedness and the calling that God has given him and he's faithful to the gospel through which God has called him. Paul was faithful. In verse 1 it says, Paul, an apostle of Christ, by the will of God, he was faithful and according to the promise of the life in Christ Jesus. Just by way of introduction for us as people and looking at the giftedness that Paul was given, the office that Paul was given in, in, in service to the Lord, maybe you have even asked the question and noticed within, within uh, biblical Christianity, us as a church, we don't use this word apostle today. Why, why is that? What does this office mean? Has Paul fulfilled that duty? I just want to give us a backdrop for uh, a biblical understanding, and you can go back and look up these verses and study it on your own, but what does it mean that, that Paul is an apostle in this calling. And I'll just share with you this morning, if you're interested in knowing more, we put a blog post on the church website, alpinebible.com. You can go there and look at our latest blog, and it gives an explanation of this. It's on our Facebook page as well. And so there's further explanation there. But when it comes to the idea of apostle, last week I explained this to us. In John 15, Jesus said, as the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. And the word that Jesus uses there is apostello. It's the Greek word apostello, which literally means um, apostle. And what Jesus is saying, he has called all of us, the word apostle literally means sent forth. He has called all of us into this world to proclaim his good news. We are all in that way apostles. Sometimes we use the word missionaries today, going forth and representing Jesus. But when it comes to the office of apostles, there's something a little more unique about it. They also were sent forth, but there's an authority given to them. In Ephesians 4.11 
When Paul writes about the uh, giftedness within the church, he says this. He gave some as apostles, talking about the Lord, and some as prophets and some as evangelists and some as pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints. But in Ephesians chapter 2, when Paul refers to the giftedness again of certain individuals, he, he doesn't list all of the gifts. Let's look at what he says in Ephesians chapter 2. It's built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, which Christ Jesus himself as the cornerstone. Why is it that Paul lists the gifts in Ephesians 4, but when it comes to chapter 2 and verse 20, he eliminates some of those? Let me give you a little bit of a uh, backdrop explanation. When you go to build a building, how many times do you lay a foundation? Hopefully once. If not, your house is messed up, right? Just one time is what you want to do. And uh, when it comes to the book of Ephesians, in chapter 4, Paul's listing out the gifts because those gifts are being exercised at the time. But when it comes to Ephesians chapter 2, he explains some of those offices or gifts that's given. And he says that their intentions are to lay the foundation. In Jude chapter 3, it, or excuse me, Jude chapter 1, verse 3, it says, there's only one chapter in Jude, but verse 3, it says that the truth of God has been delivered once and for all time, meaning the emphasis here is that foundation for us as believers has, has been laid. And so for further clarifications, if you looked at 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 7 and 9, it says this, Paul's writing, he says, then he appeared to James, talking about Jesus, and then to all the apostles, and last of all, to one untimely born, he appeared to me also, for I am the least of the apostles. And so in this passage, Paul refers to himself not only as the least apostle, but the last apostle. When Paul is referring to himself as a last apostle, it's important to recognize when Paul wrote 1 Corinthians 15, he's writing this some 20 years past the time of Jesus. And in that 20 years, Paul is still referring to himself as, as the last apostle. In fact, when you read early church history, you see that after the apostles are gone, they never called anyone out into the office of apostle because they understood, as Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 20 says, it's a foundational office. In fact, the apostle Paul, when he travels around on these four missionary journeys, when he establishes churches, you never see the apostle Paul going into the church saying, this church needs certain authority figures to operate from, let's appoint apostles. In fact, what the Apostle Paul says to the early church when he writes the book of 1 Timothy and Titus, he says, appoint elders. So the elders were the, uh, intended to be the one that helps guide the church. It's also, we use that word interchangeably. Today, we, we sometimes refer to that as pastor. In 1 Peter 5, 1 and 2, you'll see the, the word shepherding used for elder, which is the word for pastor. In Titus chapter 1, this is what they say. For this reason, I left you in Crete, that you would set in order what remains and appoint elders. Okay, not apostles, but elders. In Acts 14, you see it again, and on and on throughout Scripture, I could give references to this. But they appointed, uh, they appointed elders to lead, never officially uh, putting someone into the office of apostle. And here's the reason why. The qualifications of apostle are listed within Scripture. In Acts chapter 1, when Judas took his life... The Gospels record at the very beginning in Acts 1 when the church is establishing itself that they appoint one other person to take his position for the 12 apostles. During this time, it's a fulfillment of prophecy that one would have to replace Judas. There isn't a prophetic statement that needed to go beyond that, but they laid out the qualifications for what it required to be an apostle, and this is what they said. Therefore, it is necessary to choose one of the men who have been with us the whole time the Lord Jesus was living among us, beginning from John's baptism to the time when Jesus was taken up from us. For one of these must become a witness with us of his resurrection. So the must of the apostles to see the resurrection of Christ. 
In fact, Paul in his ministry repetitiously had to defend his position of being an apostle because he said that we just read in 1 Corinthians 15, 8, and last of all, he appeared to me as one born untimely, right? And so Paul's saying he's recognizing he wasn't called during that typical period when the apostles were called, but that he's still an apostle. And it says in 1 Corinthians 9, Paul even says, it's because I've seen the resurrected Christ. 1 Corinthians 9, 1, he's defending his position as an apostle. In 1 Corinthians 8 8 and 9 of chapter 15, it says this, he appeared to me also. Paul, again, defending the position of being apostle by seeing the resurrected Christ, the qualifications, one of which included seeing the resurrected Jesus. And, And when you watch the life of the apostles, the ones in this office, this is what typically happened in their lives. It says in 1 Corinthians 12, 12, Paul said, I persevered in demonstrating among you the marks of a true apostle, including signs, wonders, and miracles. In Matthew 10, when Jesus first chose the 12 apostles, it says this, now the names of the 12 apostles are these. And as you go, he goes on further, he names the 12 in verse seven, he goes on further. And as you go, preach saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand, heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, cast out demons. And so God, uh, Jesus is giving the authority to these apostles to have specific powers, unique signs. In fact, when the apostles continue on in Acts, it tells us that even Peter's shadow is healing people. Outside of the temple, when Peter goes, Peter and John, they tell a man, silver and gold have I none, but stand up and walk. During the time that these apostles are living, there was no such thing as hospitals. In fact, it was believed during the time of the apostles that if someone had some sort of sickness that required a hospital visit, as we would say today, during their their time, they would say that person has been cursed from God. And so they would push them aside, not care for their needs, sometimes even cast them out into the street because the people believed if I cared for them, whatever God's doing to them, they're also going to do to me. And so people were treated poorly that had some, any sort of condition or health problem that they faced. It wasn't until the Christian church saw the value in any human being regardless that hospitals started, Christian churches started hospitals. And so when you wanted to see an apostle healing someone or some of that taking place, what you'll find in scripture is that it often took place close to the temple because the people and understanding of God and God believing that God would do this to you would then go to the temple to to pay penance. And so the the apostles, a lot of times when when you would see them healing, it would be on the way to the temple or at the temple. What I would say for us today, if we were to compare it in context today, if, if an office like this existed, um, what we should see is this individual going to the hospitals and, and taking care of the physical needs of people, right? Uh, I make all of these, these comments, and I just want to conclude with this thought in 1 Corinthians 4, what the life of the apostle was. Remember, the definition of apostle is one sent forth. And even though there's the office of apostle, the, the apostles in office were still one sent forth. Meaning when you see the life of an apostle, it should be one going out into the parts of the world where they don't know Jesus, proclaiming Jesus so people can come to know Jesus. And when Paul's writing 1 Corinthians chapter 4, he's recognizing there are people that are calling themselves apostles that aren't. And I don't know why in the world you would want to do that because this is what the life of an apostle looks like in 1 Corinthians 4. I think God has, existed, uh, has exhibited us apostles last of all as men condemned to death. We are fools for Christ's sake. We are weak, but you are strong. You are distinguished, but we are without honor. We are both hungry and thirsty and are poorly clothed and roughly treated and are homeless. And we toil working with our own hands. When we are reviled, we bless. When we are persecuted, we endure. When we are slandered, we try to uh, conciliate. When we, we have become all as the scum of the world, the dregs of all things, even until now. This calling that these few individuals had. 
When you study church history, you'll see it cost their lives. I'll accept the apostle John who died at an old age, but the apostle John was thrown into a boiling vat to try to kill him at one time and exiled to the island of Patmos at another time because of his faith in Christ. Now, why do I make all these comments? One, just so you can have an, a biblical understanding of what Scripture shares with apostolic authority. If you want to know more, again, you can get on our church website and read about that. But two is to say this. As people, sometimes I feel like we give ourselves certain positions in order to make my standing look like a mediation between you and your relationship with God, right? And what I want to encourage you to this morning, it's First Peter 2.9 that we've looked at together. It says that we're all royal priests, meaning you belong to the king and you have access to him. God's word has been given to you that you don't need mediation over you trying to dictate what you need to do and and not do according to what we've shared in scripture here. But your relationship with Jesus is special because Jesus gave his life for that. Jesus wants you to know him. Jesus, it's, it's good as a body of believers to gather around with one another, encourage each other. To, to examine truth together, to search the scriptures together. Jesus wants you to make your walk with him personal. He wants you to make it intimate. He wants you to realize that he paid it all for you that you might come to him, to know him and to, and to enjoy him forever. Paul, in 1 Timothy chapter 1, and that's what he's saying. Yes, he had the office of an apostle, but really what he's saying is he was faithful to what God gifted him in. He was just faithful to live his life according to the way that God had blessed him. God has made all of you unique and special and gifted you in ways that he hasn't gifted me. Because God has called you to represent him in this world and to use the gifts that he has given you to do that. Matter of fact, that's why we call it a gift. It's intended to be given away. And in in 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 10, it says this, each one should use whatever gift he has received to serve others. And what God is doing in in your life is special. It's it's important. It's it's a time for you to get with God, to learn more about him. Let God grow you through his word as, as you walk with him. And then he says to us this, that it's according to the will of God that he lives out the calling that God's given him or the giftedness that God has given him. According to the promise of life in Christ Jesus to Timothy, he says, my beloved, grace, mercy, and peace from God. Paul's saying the gospel is his hope. The reason at the end he's an outlaster is because he has hope. This world is temporary and he's put his hope into to what is e- eternal. He, he knows that this life isn't, isn't worth grabbing a hold of, but the life that is to come in Christ, that is worth living your life for and toward because what you do for Christ matters for all of eternity. Maybe even say to us as people, don't make church about irrelevant garbage. Just come here and want to draw near Jesus and get with other believers and want to encourage them to Jesus. You know, sometimes I've joked in the past that the minute we start arguing about the carpet, thank God we don't have it, right? (laughs) Or maybe we do need it. (laughs) 
if that becomes an issue to us, we're just going to paint everything pink. I mean, it, it makes no difference because it's about Jesus. And Paul's saying the reason I outlast is because I understand God gave, gave me this giftedness and I, I, I just wanted to share that and, and God's given me this hope and, and he marks this hope by grace, mercy, and, and peace, which is a mark of God's kingdom. We'll talk about mercy more in a minute. But, but Jesus is called the Prince of Peace and Jesus came for more than just my salvation and your salvation. He came for the redemption of the whole world in him as king. And when the king rules, there is peace. And the reason we can go into that kingdom is because of his grace shown to us in Christ as he's given his life for us. And Paul's saying that resurrection, that is my hope. This is my joy. This is my Lord. I'm making life about that. Outlasters are faithful. What make Paul so effective too is that Paul understood outlasters outlive. I mean, you can't be an outlaster without outliving not physically, he's about to lose his life, but what Paul stood for outlasted Paul himself. And, and, and what I mean by that passage is what Paul says in the very second verse. He says, to Timothy, my beloved son. Timothy is not uh, Paul's physical son, but he is his spiritual son. And, and Paul's investing in the life of Timothy. In fact, Paul even says at the end of the book, make every effort to come and see me soon. Listen, Timothy, my life is coming to an end and I still have something to pour into you, to share with you, to see you grow in God, to invest in you, to use my gifts as God has called me. Paul wanted to be around Timothy. And Paul lived a life he wanted Timothy to display. In fact, Paul made it a point to do this with believers that he just interacted with. And when Paul traveled on his missionary journey, he always did so with companions that he could encourage them with his gifts as they encouraged him. When, when God talks to us as a body of believers at the end of Matthew chapter 28, Jesus gives his last proclamation before he ascends into heaven. And he says, go into the world and make disciples. Replicate followers of Jesus. I think that's why church exists. The church exists to make disciples, followers of Jesus. And in my life, I, I, I've wrestled with how, how do we do that effectively and what, what does that look like in, in, our, in a, the day-to-day of life? And, and, and I don't want to undermine this thought, but I just want to say this for us as believers is that sometimes within our American Christianity, I think that we do that academically, but not always connecting to the heart and the life. Meaning we're really good at creating lots and lots of Bible studies. Sometimes it's just important to get with other believers and encourage them. To use your gifts. And I'm not, I don't want to undermine the study of God's word. I think it's important. But to not allow it just to be some intellectual exercise. To allow it to be experienced in your heart and lived in your life. Paul says in Philippians 4, 9, the things you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. Saying, Paul's living the lifestyle that you can emulate. In 2 Timothy 2, he says this to Timothy, the things which you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust these to faithful men. Uh, Timothy, exercise what I've, I've been giving you. And, and truth is, as Paul's pouring into Timothy, Timothy struggled. Walking as an outlaster and looking at the Apostle Paul and emulating a life in, in Jesus isn't always easy. And so Timothy struggled. In fact, when Paul wrote 1 Timothy chapter 1, after he begins his introduction, Hi, Timothy, grace, mercy, and peace. Let me just share this in verse 3. He, he says, Stay on at Ephesus. 
Timothy was the pastor or one of the elders in the church of, of Ephesus. Ephesus was a difficult place to do ministry. In fact, if it wasn't, Paul wouldn't have to say, Timothy, stay on at Ephesus. When you study the, the history of the city of Ephesus, by the first century, the city of Ephesus is the second largest city in the Roman Empire. The goddess that the city of Ephesus uh, worships is the goddess of Diana, who is the goddess of sexuality. And when you walk through the streets, there are billboards all over the ground marking the locations you need to go to find prostitutes. Not only that, but when you read about the life of Timothy, you see throughout Paul's letters to Timothy that Timothy is constantly encouraged to stand against the false doctrine that's taught within the church. People are coming in from the outside teaching truth contrary. And not only does, does Paul tell Timothy to stay in Ephesus, at the end of Timothy, he tells Timothy to drink a little wine for his stomach. Now, I don't know what's going on in the life of Timothy, whether he's a little backed up or he's got some sort of ulcer going on, but whatever it is, he's stressed out or something's happening that, that Paul's just encouraging him in his life. In, in 1 Timothy chapter uh, 4, it tells in verse 12, he tells them, don't let people despise your youth, Timothy. And to top it all off, the church is now going through the persecution of Nero. And people that Timothy loved are losing their lives. People that he, he fought in battle with, spiritually speaking. People he loves. Paul says to Timothy in 2 Timothy 4, But you, keep your head in all situations. Endure hardships. Do the work of an evangelist. Discharge all the duties of your ministry. Paul is affirming to Timothy and encouraging Timothy at the same time. You know, I think that's what makes the community of Christ so important. When things are hard, we can acknowledge things are hard. I mean, Paul could, could have said to Timothy, listen, in these hardships, he, he said, yeah, yeah, Timothy, listen, Nero is about to kill me. And yes, people are mad at you for loving Jesus. And yes, you are stressed out. And maybe you, you even feel like quitting, but, but don't worry, God has this. You're, you're fighting these battles, but Jesus, keep your eyes on Jesus. He has already won the war. The body of Christ does this well for one another. And one of the reasons I think that we're so gifted at it or that we are gifted to do it, I should say, maybe not always perfectly, is because we go through the same struggles. In fact, the Apostle Paul, I think one of the reasons that he could relate in encouraging Timothy so, so well is that the Apostle Paul endured hardships and struggles himself. In Romans 7, he says this in verse 24, O wretched man that I am. Even he had weaknesses. In 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 2, he says, grace, mercy, and peace. This, this thought of, of mercy, I think, is an explanation for Paul of what, what he needs from the Lord as he serves in his position. You think about the apostle Paul's life before knowing Jesus. He was one who persecuted and killed the church. He took the lives of people. Not only did he need God's grace, he needed God's mercy. He needed God's peace. Paul could relate to Timothy and his weakness because Paul himself had weakness. So when God calls you in this world to be a light for him, 
It's not always going to be perfect. But to be honest, God uses your imperfections. And God uses your weaknesses. When God puts you in a situation to stand for him, the encouragement through Timothy to you this morning would be this. Don't think there's someone better. Let God use you. In fact, Paul encouraged this throughout Scripture. He says, look at your weakness. Let me just give you a summation of it. Look at your weakness as a place for God to shine through with his strength. In 1 Corinthians 1.27, Paul said this. Instead, God chose things of the world that's considered foolish in order to shame those things that we think are wise. And he chose things that are powerless to shame those who are powerful. 1 Corinthians 12, 9, Most gladly, therefore, I will rather boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. God uses it. You can look at your weaknesses in addition as a place for God to grow you in your position with him. In Romans 5, it says this, not only that, but we rejoice in, your, in our sufferings, knowing that our sufferings produces endurance, endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope d- does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. In Philippians 4, Paul says, I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound, and in any and every circumstance I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. God's not using his strength. He's using his weakness for his glory. Paul's connecting with Timothy, not because he he thinks he's this giant, but because he understands what Timothy's gone through, because Paul himself has gone through it. And God can use it. And God can use all of us. Because he's created us uniquely and special in him. Paul writes Romans 8. And I believe this verse encourages us because weakness causes us to look for a greater hope. And to get our eyes off the temporary, and Paul says in Romans eight eighteen, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy comparing with the glory that is to be revealed. Paul relates to Timothy because of his weakness. But you know, the Bible records a similar like-minded verse in relationship to us and Jesus. It says in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15, what makes Jesus just so ready to receive us and our relationship with him and us being able to connect with him. It says, for we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who is tempted in all things as we are yet without sin. Therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. Jesus cares, especially in your weakness, to use you for his glory. That you may connect with him. Outlasters outlive because they they invest in others. Sometimes within our biblical Christianity and American culture, we like to think that faith is a personal thing, and, and that's just not biblical. Because if you're created in Christ and you're created for his purpose, then whatever purpose he created you for is to be lived out through him. It's all because of him that you live life and understanding him gives you the opportunity to live the way that he has called you to live in this world. The way that he has gifted you to live in this world. 
And so faith, no matter how much we want to try to convince ourselves, it's personal. You live for something that is an authority over you. And whatever that authority you're allowing over you, that's something you're expressing your faith in. And God has called us as people to express that faith in him, to live it out in our lives, in community. God has called us for community. When he says, love God and love others with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, God created you for community. And the faith is to be lived out and invested in others. Outlasters outlive because they invest in the lives of others. But let me look at this last verse together. Outlasters outlive because they use their time effectively. Paul says in Ephesians 15, therefore be careful how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of your time because the days are evil. I want to tell you, I I dubbed this verse in Scripture the Kramer verse, and this is why, because when I first read it as a believer, it used to stress me out. And that was because when I read this verse, I assumed what it meant was um, you have to make a really charted out to-do list of everything you need to do and figure out how to make Jesus involved in everything that you do, which, which you do want to do all things to the glory of God. First Corinthians 10.31 tells us that. But there are two words. This is what helped me out in not going Kramer on people. This is what I the, call it the Kramer verse because if you ever watch Seinfeld, you know how Kramer always comes into Jerry's house, right? His hair's all popped up. He's like shaking like crazy. Stressful. It's very stressful. And, and, and what this verse is saying for us and it helps us in our understanding so you all don't go all Kramer on me too this morning is there's two words for time in the Greek text. One's the chronos, the actual time, what you live by. You know, you check the watch every day, especially if you live under a busy time constraint. You want to know every minute of every time. Then there's the duration of time. And what Paul's saying is consider your life and the duration of time and the places that God has called you to influence. You think as a, as a parent, you stress out, uh, you know, as, uh, in a, as a child, you want to be an influence for, for, for your children. Well, you can't be constantly over your kid's shoulders saying Jesus every three seconds in their ears. I mean, that's going to drive everybody crazy, including yourself and probably Jesus. But, but what, what God wants you to do is to think about the duration of time, what God desires to produce in you as he uses you through that time, what he wants to produce in your children as God uses you every time, where, where he wants to let his light shine in your work, just over the duration of time, how God might use that. And here's, here's why it's important is because over seasons of time, everything changes. Your life, my life, our work, our, our family, your kids, they're different. One, one year they like something else, and the next day they like something different. They're different, and you've got to figure out how to in, invest in the way that Jesus has called you to. And so over the duration of time, this is not dealing with quality, but it's dealing with quantity. Think about the position that God has put you in and the influence that you can have in their lives. As a dad this week, I was reminded of that with my son. Right? My oldest son has a very tender heart, um, loves people, has empath- empathizes. Like we'll take our youngest kid to the doctor, he'll get a shot, and my oldest son will be the one crying. Like, but it's you know he really cares what people go through. And as a dad, I, I constantly wrestle with the kids and I try to you know toughen them, toughen them up or whatever. And and I love that he has a tender heart, but as a dad, I still wrestle with him. My, my theme verse for my kids is Micah six eight. He has shown the old man what is good, what the Lord requires of thee, to do justice, love mercy, walk humbly with God. So I want my kids to, to do that, be just, be merciful, and walk with God. And so we're work, we work on our justice sometimes. Help the innocent, get rid of the bad guy. You know? <laughs> work on our justice. And, uh, but our, my youngest, oldest son didn't quite catch it as well. My youngest son caught it too well. But, but the funny part is, is when he delivers this justice, 
It could be on anyone, so it's not really justice. And sometimes he, he times it. He'll say punch before he punches you. So be on the lookout if my youngest boy says punch because he's going to punch you. He's only one. <laughs> so, so this week in the kitchen, he was standing behind his oldest son, or my oldest son, and, and he comes up and he says punch and then delivers the blow right in the back of his brother. And I wish I could say that was the only time he's ever done that. <laughs> and it's not. And, and, and I look at him and I say, son, do not hit your brother. And he looks back at me and he takes his finger and he just stares at me and he just goes. <laughs> now, as a dad, I can tell you, I turn my head immediately and try not to laugh out loud, right? <laughs> but on the outside, I'm, I'm really thankful too, because here's why. This is a place as a father where I know I can redeem my time. My son doesn't understand what rebellion is, and it's amazing at one year old, your heart can still be rebellious. But it's an opportunity for me to speak to his heart about the love of Christ through that relationship that God has given me and the gifts that God has given me in him. I can share that with others. Don't underestimate where God's put you in this world. Don't underestimate what Christ has done for you that you can be a light for him. It's messy. In fact, if it's not messy, I would just probably warn us this way, are you really walking with Jesus? Because Jesus himself said, there's gonna be war. Not physically, but spiritually. There are spiritual battles that take place. It may lead to something frustrating, but there's war and don't underestimate what God wants to do in you and through you. Let me close with this verse. In 1 Corinthians 15, 58, it says this. My dear brothers and sisters, be strong and immovable. Always work enthusiastically for the Lord, for you know that nothing you do for the Lord is ever useless.